Welcome to the Operatic Pastcast, a presentation and preservation of operatic memories and impressions, produced by Donald Cullop. Episode 112. As remembered by Alfred Hubey, there were many memorable moments of the 1958-1959 season of the Metropolitan Opera, including a star-studded opening night Tosca with Renata Tibaldi, Mario Del Monaco, and George London, Renata Tibaldi's first Met Butterfly and Manon Lescaut, how Rudolph being dealt with cancellations and the ticket buyers, the firing of Maria Callas, a new production of Macbeth with Leonard Warren and Leonie Riesenek in her Met debut, Rudolf Bing's Superstitions, and a new production of a double bill of Cavalleria Rusticana and Pagliacci, directed by Jose Quintero. Part 1 of 3. The 1958-59 season opened with a real bang. It was not a new production. It was just sort of a happy happy circumstance. I think Bing did that on purpose. Tobaldi's mourning period had ended. Her mother had died the previous November. She was back back in form singing at La Scala or wherever her contracts were being fulfilled. And he decided to open with the regular production of Tosca. No frills, nothing new. Not old, old Frederick Fox production. A very standard production. With Metropolis in the pit, as he should have been, and with Delmonico and Tobaldi singing, I, for some reason, when they sang together, they would catch fire. I remember that night so well because it was, by that time, there was really no glamour except on the stage. The, the, the people that came just because they wanted to be seen at opening had, was disappearing every season. There were less and less of them. It was a public performance, not a subscription. Every ticket was available to the subscribers' priority and to the public and the place was jammed, but it was basically not even dressy by that time. It was 1958. It was his ninth season, I think, and the old guard had given up already. There were no more shenanigans. That finished the, about the, by the second season. And the sound of Delmonico, when he opened his mouth, saying, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I love Delmonico, but it was like liquid bronze pouring out, and she came in, and as great, I mean, I've heard of Tosca's before, but there was that extra dimension that, that that particular night. She just poured it out. And the two of them together in the first act, I could not believe it.
And then in the second act, the, the Scarpia was George London. Now, George had sung Scarpia with Tobaldi before, and his Scarpia was a very special role for him because it was not the usual repertoire that you'd associate with a great Don Giovanni, a great Dutchman. A Dutchman hadn't come come to New York yet with him. Uh, but that was where the repertoire that he was known for, Amfortas and Bayreuth, um, doing the Votans. And all of a sudden, this particular role, he never oversang, but, they, but it caught fire with the two of them. After the first, uh, when he came out for the Te Deum, all of a sudden, there was also an extra dimension. He had a good-sized voice, and he was a very good Scarpia. It's a toss-up. Gobi was a very elegant Scarpia. Gobi did a lot of faking, which you didn't really realize because he knew he was a real Roman baron, barone. Uh, George had those credentials too, but there was much more earthiness sometimes to singing, but he had a much better top. Sei la giurata fede debba tradire Ne voglio altra mercede Ne voglio altra mercede Quest'ora io la was a wonderful Scarpia, I, I, I admit that. But with certain circumstances, London with, I remember London with Mary Curtis Verna and Barry Morell, didn't give as much. But that night, every one of them, unbelievable singing. And Metropolis, it was a great opening night. And since Tobali had missed the season before, being a contractor her for interesting repertoire, she did her only two butterflies that season, right after the opening, after she did a few Toscas. And Oyama, the, the, the wonderful director who directed the new production a year before, they were smart enough because this production, you put somebody else in. And, and Tobali was a little concerned about butterfly because Tobali was five foot nine. And uh, the sets were basically designed, they were not miniature, but a Japanese house isn't a big house. And uh, and they were smart enough that they actually paid to bring him back because he was such a special director for that production. So she had a chance while she was singing her Toscas to work with him to kind of 
not crouch, but somehow be a little more diminutive by by the way she used her shoulders and her head, never standing up straight. But she worked very hard with him because she was a little upset about the fact that, that, you know, at a full height, she's a big butterfly. Vocally, it was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. There were only two performances... who was conducting the conductor that's an, another thing that they were finding out that Leinsdorf who actually was as good a conductor of standard repertoire as he was of Wagner Leinsdorf was the conductor for the two butterflies and Leinsdorf actually saved their life that year but that's another story and then the other new role because we're coming back to New York with this Dort public just the two butterflies alone and then right after that Manolesco and Manolesco was a wonderful role for her. Oh, 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 oh,
actually sang the two butterflies sing several men on Lascaux and then she also sang Othello with Delmonico and Bing did a wonderful thing that in those days they're still on the tickets to this day I believe that there are no refunds except in the, in the change of opera you never gave a refund if somebody bought uh, a ticket for Othello and and it set Tobaldi, and Tobaldi cancelled. Bing, the very last performance of the of her contract, was a, a Manon Lusco, and she felt indisposed. She sung the other Manon Lusco, she sung the butterfly. But I could see why with the butterflies of Manon Lusco, that's a lot of singing. She just didn't feel right to sing it that evening. And Bing did something, and he did it several times in his career, and I admire him so much for that, even though it was a loss in the box office, is... When you change the opera, anybody could get a refund. So he knew that most everybody that bought tickets for that performance that weren't subscribers bought for Tobaldi. So he changed the opera to Tosca the last minute. So people going to the theater, if they didn't want to go to hear Tosca, they just got their money back. And I remember the figure, too. I, I don't know why I remember the figure. There was, uh, prices were very low in those days. They were... In the 50s, the top price was probably $9 or $10 because it was twelve fifty in 1966. And they, the loss of the box was $11,000. But he did that He did that several times in his career, and I, I admire him for that because he, he had his pulse on the public. I mean, if you bought a ticket for Dabaldi and you got to the theater and it said the opera turn out is Tosca with Mary Curtis Verna, uh, you knew right away that you go to the box office and you just ask for a refund. Well, it would be empty by, by the $11,000 that they gave back, which is in those days would be maybe 30, 30%, 40, 30% of the house. But anyhow, I remember that very well. Although I wasn't involved in box office yet, and I wasn't even involved in house management. That was the next year, I think. That year is remembered for the famous Kalos, which Bing gets all the blame for in a way, agreed to, I'm not sure whether, Carlos's manager at that time in London was a very good manager for top stars called Gorlinsky, Sasha Gorlinsky, who was Russian. For some odd reason, it ended up with Carlos and with uh, Gobi, the real big stars of the day. Now, whether Bing negotiated the contract, but Carlos actually had agreed to do 24 performances both at the Met and Bing always wanted the tour to have a big star and he would entice the star by saying years later saying to Baldi uh, I'd love to I'll revive Adriana for you it hasn't been done since 1907 or something uh, and of course you'll sing the, how many performances you want to sing on tour well Tobaldi wouldn't say no they all hated the tour Carlos had agreed to 
24 performances, including the tour. The plum there was, for the first time ever at the Met, a production of Macbeth for her. And that was what they agreed on. And all of a sudden, I think I, I'm positive by that time, this was 58, 59, by that time she was having a lot of problems. And that included Traviata performance nine days after the last Macbeth, I think. It was pretty well spaced. And after the agreement, I'm not sure if it was signed or not, she said she couldn't do Traviata and Macbeth. Macbeth was, she considered a heavy role. Bing tried to reach her, and every time he called, and it was her old husband, Minigini, who answered, Minigini spoke no English, spoke no German, only spoke Italian. Bing spoke German fluently, that's native language, and English very well, but he didn't speak Italian, so what happened was, I guess Carlos would have him answer the phone all the time, and then in order to talk about something, uh, Bing would delegate John Gutman, who was one of his assistants, who spoke Italian fairly well, to call, which made Minigini and Carlos feel there's a subordinate calling. It was a big misinterpretation, and uh, Bing got to the point, and this was way in advance. It, the, the Macbeth was uh, later in the season, but sometime in early November, when it got to be hot and heavy, where she was really trying to change everything about doing other operas at the Met instead of the Traviata, which she had signed the contract for, the Traviata and the, and the Lady Macbeth, he actually sent her a telegram and he fired her. Now, he becomes the villain of the piece. And then Kalos, of course, when the telegram came, she was in uh, Dallas doing Medea. And Kalos was a great publicity hound, and people loved, if she opened the mouth, they wanted to put her on television, on radio, and said something that second-rate company, they offered me a, a lousy production, and she's going on and going on about this, and, and it aggravated being an awful lot. Why in Dallas and not here? That's something I'd like to tell him. Why doesn't he do these performances at the Met? And I would be there with pleasure. But in any case, very best wishes for triumphal success. And by the way, I suppose I must tell you something. We started quarreling uh, involuntarily on my side, of course, because... No, I didn't think, of course, it was a quarrel. I just refused uh, the next year's contract because he offered me the old repertoire, that is, the old Norma staging, which you all saw. Norma, Barbier, Barbara Seville, Traviata, Lucia, and I said, no, I'm sorry, I cannot do routine. I want new performances and staged well. Mm, you know, like here, like a little young Dallas is doing, my God. Yes, I suppose that made him angry. I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it otherwise. Oh, my God, is that really 20 years ago? Well, it was just a question. It was a decision, really. Does she run the Met or do I run the Met? And at that time, perhaps very wrongly, I felt that I was running the Met. And uh, she made... I mean, obviously, Carlos was treated. Kid glove is, is, is uh, an understatement. Every wish she had, and they were usually reasonable, was fulfilled. And, but occasionally, she became just intolerable. And there was an agreement. I don't uh, remember the exact details now, but there was an agreement that she would do uh, Lady Macbeth and Traviata. 
And obviously these are extremely different parts in their textures. And I arranged with her how many days she would need in between, and that was all arranged and all discussed. And then she suddenly said she wouldn't do Traviata. And in the meantime, she had gone to Dallas, Texas, I think, where she sang various performances. And I telephoned and letters and cables, and she didn't answer. The difficulty was her husband, who was very difficult in, in these matters. So eventually the moment came when I had to say, sorry, contract cancelled. Little did I know that uh, everything disappeared from the front pages and uh, being fire's colors was just the news of the day. Was she that much more difficult than other artists? The answer is yes. And I think mainly because she was that much more intelligent. Uh, with most artists, you could argue, and if you, uh, it's, I mean, they were just, I wouldn't say they were stupid, I dealt with a great number of very intelligent artists, but eventually you could get them around, so to speak. Carlos, you couldn't get around. She knew exactly what she wanted, and she knew why she wanted it, and that made things very difficult. And uh, consequently, she was, I would say, she was the most difficult artist I had to deal with in my time, and not always successfully. So the firing sort of took her out of the late, but before he actually fired with the telegram, uh, one of the young men in the Tussie department, Paul Jaretsky, had flown to, this was the year before, during the season before, had flown to San Francisco to hear Leonie Riesenek singing Turandot. And Leonie was making a splash in Europe at that time, and she had a wonderful top. So he came back extolling the virtues of this wonderful soprano that became a great favorite at the Met. And Bing was smart enough to find, ask the artistic department to find out her availability for the, the period and he knew when he sent the telegram that she could be available. I think whether her manager actually signed, I don't think they signed the contract, but I think sometimes what they used to do is please hold the dates for a couple of days or something. But all of this ended up in the newspapers with publicity, anti-Bing publicity, and lots of recriminations, and Carlos, uh, you know, spouting off all these things that she did with television, all interviews and all that stuff. So... The season opened with the, the Tosca. Metropolis conducted the beginning of the season, and he looked like death warmed over, I thought. And all of a sudden, he had a heart attack in January. And the opening of Magbeth was February something, because he fired Kalos in November. Some people wondered why he fired in November, since the Magbeth wasn't until February. Meanwhile, Metropolis, who was conducting the Toscas, had this heart attack. But... At that time, I was down in the office. I was chief usher and uh, had access to the doctor. And Bing came in one day and said, is it possible to put, whenever Metropolis conducts, to put the house doctor in the pit? Well, Metropolis looked like death warmed over. And I think Metropolis, deep inside, wanted to, uh, if something happened, he wanted to be conducting. He actually did die while he was conducting a rehearsal, but not at the Met, in Rome the following summer. Uh, he was conducting a Mahler symphony rehearsal 
either in Rome or Milan with the local orchestra there, and he dropped dead during the rehearsal. But Bing was very superstitious. If you shook hands with him and there was a, a door in between and he was on one side, you were on the other, he wouldn't shake hands with you. There's really? an old superstition. I don't know where it comes from. I remember in the new house when I called him in Italy and I said, I, I was numbering boxes, and the boxes box was the biggest box. I was to make general manager's box, I said it's it's number 13 when you count the numbers. And uh, I heard him gulp a little bit, and he said, uh, does it have to have the number on the door? I said, no, we'll just skip it. So we never put the, the number on until after he retired. But he was very superstitious, and uh, like the op- opera club corridor, and then there was a big door, and if you're on the other side and he was on the other side and you held out your hand, he wouldn't shake it. That's some old superstition. I've heard about that superstition anyway. I don't think it exists anymore. But anyhow, he really wanted to see if the house doctor could sit in the pit. Well, you couldn't because if somebody became ill in the theater, you'd have to go during the performance to find the house doctor in the pit. And so uh, we said, no, uh, it's not possible because it's a house doctor for everybody. And uh, sure enough, he was hospitalized, which meant that the Macbeth had to be in other hands. And Eric Leinsdorf was there on the contract and was doing the butterflies and I figured what other repertoire. He actually sat down with the score that had Metropolis annotations and although he had never conducted it before, he worked hard on it and conducted a very good performance of the Macbeth. So he took over. Now the Macbeth was in February. The new production that year was a, a second production. Bing had bad luck with Cavalry Piacci. He had done a new production seven years before using Lemonade Opera Company where it was so bad that they, they actually brought in an old production to take its place for a while. That wasn't a good idea. So finally they hired a very bright Jose Quintero, had a theater downtown, it was a theater in the round and wonderful in the early, early days of Off-Broadway. He produced some wonderful things down there and he hired him to do a new production, which was a lot better. There were other problems there anyway. It would replace the 1951 production. Thank you for listening to the Operatic Past Cast. Visit the website at operaticpastcast.com. This is your producer, Donald Cullop. Thank you.